0: so welcome to the catholic sportsman show before we talk to our guest matt dan tuano we will start with a prayer in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen amen dear lord as we begin holy week we ask you to help us to know you and to love you And to know how much you love us and we ask you to be here with us in our discussion with matt and send the holy spirit upon us and we ask our ladies intercession hail mary full of grace the lord is with thee blessed art thou amongst women and blessed is the fruit
1: of thy womb jesus holy mary mother of god pray Pray for for us sinners Now, now. and yeah. ever,
0: Amen. Amen. Saint Sebastian, patron saint of Christian athletes, pray for us. Pray for us. Blessed Carlo Acutis, the technical patron saint of the Catholic sportsman show. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome, Matt. It's great to talk to you face to face, Matt. D'Antuono is a father and husband of nine. He has nine children. He also teaches physics at a high school, and he's also a speaker and writer. So we're really excited uh, to talk with you uh, here face to face, Matt. Welcome.
2: One more thing, too. I uh, I moderate great books discussions for the online uh, Angelicum Academy, Angelicum High School Academy, which is excellent. Fun thing, yeah. All right. <clears throat> yeah.
0: Well, um, as we're the Catholic Sportsman Show, we always start off with just asking our guest if you can uh, just share how your faith life and sports have kind of intersected and brought you to this point in your in your life.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I always played sports, and I was pretty good at them. High school, I did uh, track and field, played football. Really, walking in my brother's footsteps. My older brother played football. He did track. He was a thrower. And I just, okay, that's, so he did, that's what he did. That's what, Um, but growing up, faith was nominal at best. I wasn't big enough to play football uh, in college, and I wasn't good enough at any of the throwing events to do that in college. So I got to pick the sport I wanted to do, and I played rugby. Um, And the summer after my freshman year of college, I was playing in the the World Scholar-Athlete Games, which is a pretty cool event, and um, I was at the oldest possible age for that. So, um, but there was a guy there that I met who I knew that he was a, a Christian. Uh, he was from the kingdom of Tonga. And he, uh, I somehow I was elected like the captain of the team. Before the end, he, has, he said, you know, Matt, can you pray? I was like, oh, like no one had ever asked me to pray before. I don't know what, I don't know what I said. And then on the bus, He's on the bus to get back at the very end. He sticks his hand out the window and I was like, Oh, I happen to be there. I reached up and I grabbed his hand and he said, I'll see you in heaven. I was like, well, now I got to go to heaven. You know, um, the, there was a guy in my rugby team in college who was uh, a Christian and the rugby team is, uh, they're like a fraternity, but just a lot stinkier, you know, not nearly as much cologne. So uh, but there was a guy on the team who was a Christian. He made it known that he was a Christian and he didn't drink. It's like the only guy on the team that didn't drink. It was just total. But he was uh, a great witness for me. And then I had a kind of a conversion experience in college. Still played rugby, which was a challenge. I was living in the rugby house my first year trying to live out the Christian life. And here I was, this you know, Christian living in the rugby house with their parties all the time. And I just didn't. Partake. I mean, I'd be there hanging out with the guys, Um, but it was a challenge at times. Um, And then, uh, interesting enough, my wife's father. So when I met her through the Christian ministry there in, in college, my wife's father was the chaplain for the New York Giants and the New York Yankees. And so our first my first year out of college was interning with with him. Uh, doing some sports ministry at Rutgers university, leading Bible studies. Um, now this is through what was called campus crusade of the Christ Ath- campus crusade for Christ athletes in action, um, Protestant at the time. So interdenominational ministry there and, um, involved at Rutgers getting to know the people there. I had a couple opportunities to interact, do some things with my father-in-law with giants or the Yankees. Um, one time after this, but, uh, a few years later, I got to preach a, a sermon to the to the Giants the night before one of their games, which was a pretty cool experience. Awesome. Yeah, uh, Eli Manning and Justin Tuck were on the team at the time. Really nice, really nice guys, very respectful, humble men. Um, it was great to be a, a part of that. And then currently, the the connection with sports and faith in my life is that I run a – I'm like the the club advisor for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes club at the school where I teach, the high school. So trying to get kids out to connect faith and sports. And they and they love it and they need it. You know, they come and they're like, oh, I didn't know that you were a Christian. They talk to these other kids and spreading the word. Um, they're there, but they're isolated. So trying to get them connected to each other and in that kind of environment. Yeah. That's
1: great. Oh, that's great. You currently teach physics at a public high school. What sort of connections or considerations are there between sports and physics?
2: Yeah, uh, I try to I try to make the connections when I can. Um, probably the most real example is uh, we do the famous egg drop project. I'm a physics teacher, right? So one of the things we do when we learn about energy and momentum. Is we do the egg drop projects, So kids have to construct a device that's going to keep an egg from breaking when you drop it. But if the egg, so we drop it from different heights, and if the egg survives all of those, then we take it out back, and we hit it with a baseball bat or a golf club. Uh, and if if the egg survives that, the kids get a hundred percent. It's like extra credit. Uh, and so I like it when I've got kids on the golf team and the baseball team. They're the I let them do the hitting, and they love it. They're like, oh yeah, I'll hit. You know, happy to destroy their. T- Uh, classmates projects that's the most concrete example obviously Um, but in physics I mean there there are a lot of connections so whenever I'm talking about a concept if I can relate it to some sports thing I will like for example uh, motion and vectors uh, vector describing kinematics as we call it Um, I play rugby so if I can talk about rugby and moving down the field but you have to pass the ball backwards Um, in one class, we even give them a a problem involving the vectors and the velocities and what sort of thing. Um, yeah, a lot of, it's great. And it's really helpful for the kids who play sports. It's interesting. I've noticed a bit of a pattern that, um, kids who play sports have a better, um, kind of spatial ability. I've seen it. I used to teach geometry as well when I first started teaching and, uh, the kids who were athletes had a better ability to be able to picture and imagine things and could relate to it because they've, they've felt it in a very real kind of way. And they can think about things in that um, very concrete, physical way about these concepts.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. You can almost adjust your, your coursework accordingly, right? To say, oh, yeah. well, I have a bunch of athletes in here. <laughs> Let's yep. talk about something spatial.
2: Yeah, yeah. and I'll appeal directly to kids. You know, the kid on the baseball team will say, You know when you're swinging the bat um you know or what i mean whatever there's always something to be able to uh discuss and bring up as an example well in in
0: 1988 or i'm sorry 2008 you had a reversion back to your catholic faith and um you obviously have you have a big philosophy background did that play a part in your journey back home to the catholic church it
2: certainly did um and at the time at that time i was uh, so I, I graduated college and, you know, so I had a degree in physics at the time going into ministry. I was in touch with Trent Beattie, our friend, you know, the writer National Catholic Register, but he, he wasn't doing the writing at the time. We were both just college students. He had reached out to me was kind of randomly. And so I'm debating him about Catholicism, but we're missing each other. I was still pretty new in my faith. So a lot of the terminology, we are just, I mean, totally missing each other, unfortunately. But um, I started getting interested in philosophy at that time. Probably, I mean, I think um, C.S. Lewis and G.K. Chesterton sort of opened up the possibility of that kind of thought for me. And it was really intriguing. I started reading Plato, things I could get my hands on. But the, the big catalyst was um, auditing a class taught by Peter Craved, and he, Um And we would uh, we would actually interact with him. We tried to have dinner with him before the class, et cetera. And I... The first time that we met um i was with my father-in-law my wife and my mother-in-law and we met him before class and asked if we could take him out for dinner and he uh he accepted and i just asked him point blank like how can you be a a catholic because i knew he was catholic and i knew he was a convert but as far as i was concerned at the time Catholicism was, uh, was a heresy uh so i said you know the catholic church teaches salvation plus works that's you know how can you believe that i'm sure that my in-laws were completely mortified but he responded very graciously very quickly and sort of just explained some some sort of philosophical points about terminology and the way that it's used <clears throat> and then as i continued to study philosophy it deepened my understanding of uh ethics of virtue the idea of justification and our participation in that started to make a lot more sense um, all of these concepts that we talk about when it comes to uh, God and the being of God and the types of beings that we are and the way the means that salvation could work in the type of universe that we live in with the type of God that we have um, philosophy provides um, a mental framework for being able to handle that stuff. It provides uh, vocabulary that has, that has been useful to the church for, a couple thousand years and being able to handle and communicate these concepts. And so as I got to understand those, those points of view, um, the teaching of the Catholic church started to make more sense. Like all of a sudden purgatory wasn't this crazy idea, right? Mm -hmm. If salvation is this idea of sanctification, then it's a process. And I'm not there by, by the time I die. So that process has to continue for the continuity of the soul, continuity and the unity of the, the human person. Like, oh, okay, that's not as crazy as I thought. And it was kind of one by one, those things. And learning to question, learning to, to look at assumptions. I came to question my own assumptions about uh, Sola Scriptura was, was the big one, the really big one. You know, I had practiced. Um, you know, I had another friend who I met in college, he was, uh, I met him at a Bible study together and he was a philosophy major and he ended up leaving the Bible study after about a year, maybe a little bit less, but I continued to get together with him and I didn't realize at the time, but we were having all these philosophical discussions. And so between Trent and his friend uh, and then the education I was getting in philosophy, I was really being trained and learning to question things, to get down to the, the fundamentals, to question the assumptions. And before I knew it, i could i could answer all of my own objections to catholicism um and at that point it was too late to turn back it's like oh yeah
0: yeah wow so you know now you're talking if if someone's out there listening that they want to like where to start like how do i learn just philosophy 101 what would be a good way to entry point for them
2: yeah um the thing that i always recommend to my students is um plato the dialogues of plato himself are you know plato's great because he doesn't have any technical terminology yet there's no and it's just dialogue so it's not a a dry treatise you get to aristotle it can be a little bit harder to to dig into that but plato's dialogues are these conversations and he brings up all the questions another great example i would say would be um, mortimer adler he uh he was a Christian. He had a philosophy television show at one time. He was uh, one of the main editors for Britannica and the Great Books program. But um, he presents things in a pretty basic way that I think is really helpful. He's got a book Aristotle for everybody. Of course, there are a lot of great resources. Peter Crafft. Um, I haven't read it yet, but I imagine I think that his introduction, "100 uh, Socrates' Children," right, "100 Philosophers," is uh, probably a great resource. And there are some lectures that I was able to find on the word on fire website. Um, And I listened to the first one. And I think that is going to be a really helpful resource. I, I was, you know, I just, I fell in love with the intellectual tradition of Catholicism. And so uh, I was talking with my wife one time, so many people leave the Catholic church. There's so many, what they think are intellectual objections to Catholicism. And it, I was, uh, explained to her, I was like, Oh, it just breaks my heart that these kids, they they leave the Catholic church. If they understood the rich heritage of the philosophy and theology in the church, then, you know, and how philosophy when done well leads to the same conclusions, they wouldn't be leaving. It's like someone needs to write a book about that. And she was like, why don't you write it? I was like, Oh, okay. So I, I did like in 10 days, I wrote the most basic introduction that I could, that I could do for, um, for young Catholics. Uh, so I, I wrote it like maybe a, an intelligent middle schooler would, uh, was sort of my audience that I was writing for. And I call that book A Fool's, uh, a fool's Errand. So, um, I mean, that's okay. a bunch of different resources there. A
0: Fool's Errand?
2: Uh, a Fool's Errand is the name. Because the idea is that, um, in, so the, the word philosophy means the love of wisdom. A philosopher is someone who loves wisdom. Like Socrates said that he wasn't a sophist. He wasn't one of the wise men, but he was a lover of wisdom. But in order to uh, love wisdom, in order to pursue it, you have to first realize that you don't have it. If somebody thinks that he's wise, then philosophy is not for him because he already knows everything, supposedly. So only someone who recognizes that he's a fool can begin the errand of philosophy. So I know that the, that phrase, a fool's errand, is often used in a pejorative way, but I mean it as the highest compliment to philosophy, that it is the the errand of someone who knows that they're a fool but they want to gain wisdom. So. Makes sense.
1: Yeah. That sounds great. You're an associate of the community of the Friars of the Renewal. Will you explain this organization how you got started and how it affects your life uh-huh.
2: um, so the community of the friars in the room that was Father Benedict Rochelle's group uh, they're Franciscan friars and they have a presence they started here in New York City and they've got a bunch of fri- they've got a couple of friaries in New Jersey here uh, so I went to this men's conference in Newark our Stiocese of Newark and I see these guys in the gray robes there it's like oh that's that's cool They're there um and so i i ended up contacting them at one point to see if i could bring my family to go to something that they were doing and it was really random i showed up it was this thing i think for high school kids but i was there with like kids like little kids and we went and served some poor people down by the, the river in, in patterson that was my first exposure and then my wife was at a women's conference and she learned that the friars have these lay associate days um so every month the, the friary and newer lay people can come in and there's a mass and we do some service around the friary. And then we have lunch together. Um, to these friars, whenever I go with them, it's always like an event like this. So these are the poor beggars, followers of St. Francis. And I never eat better than I'm than when I'm with them because everybody <laughs> brings this wonderful food. Uh, and then there's a talk and there's adoration. So, uh, so I, I started to go to that. Because there was something that just drew me to it. And uh, at one point, I, as I was starting to get to know them, the, the question came to my mind, based on some stuff that I was reading, the question came to my mind, uh, what does it mean to love suffering? What does it mean, the love of suffering? Because I'd read some stuff that said that this is something that we find in the saints. It's sort of characteristic of the saints. It's this love of suffering. It's like, what does this mean? And so I went to a men's day at the friary. And I, first chance I had, I pulled aside one of the friars, one of the, one of the priests. And I said, what does this mean? What is the role of suffering in the spiritual life? And he talked about redemptive suffering and the love of Christ on the cross. And that, that led me to a, I guess you could say a deeper conversion in my life, that whole idea and seeing and understanding, seeing and understanding the cross in that way, this redemptive suffering, um, and the, the role of of love and that, that love and the cross transforms suffering for us now, that um, it actually has redemptive value. Um, and I continue to to learn and grow from these friars. Um, and I've met, uh, so among, among the friars they have, they don't have a third order. They, uh, they just reached a certain level of their uh, community. So they didn't have third order um, and they still don't. But the associates are sort of like Third Order of Franciscans. We're associated with the friars, which simply means that we participate in the same kind of spiritual life that they do as much as we can, deepening prayer. And we try to help the friars with their ministry as much as we're able to. Um, and so I know I do. And I know a lot of other people, we go there because, because we've found this deeper conversion just by being there and knowing the friars and
0: knowing each other. Yeah. Merely by association and just hanging out with them. Right. You just, yeah.
2: yeah. It rubs
0: off, rubs off,
2: you know? And then when I have, you know, I have other questions or things, um, getting spiritual guidance there. Um, are really a remarkable, a remarkable community. And the place, the place there in Newark, the friary that they have there used to be an old Dominican, um, not the monastery uh dominican convent uh so it's a beautiful this big beautiful place and uh in the crypt down below is where father benedict is that's where his body is right
0: now
1: okay
0: well maybe in in due time they'll have a, a like a, a lay order program like an officiate you know where you can get more training and <clears throat> closer to them yeah yeah
2: And they try to do stuff like that from time to time. Like we had a book, a book club where one of the friars was uh, leading us through a book, spirituality and sending us talks and comments. We could send them our questions. Um, You know, it's a, it's a lot. There's a big need for the spiritual formation, that spiritual guidance. And, you know, it's, it's so hard to meet those needs, but they do the best they can with um, those types of programs. And, and just, it's amazing even just the friendship with them is like the spiritual formation, just seeing them, um, you know, having them come to my home with the kids and we'll sit down we'll pray together. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful witness.
0: Oh yeah. yeah. Incredible. Well, Matt, when we were preparing for the interview, um, we were just we're smiling because it's like you're the renaissance man's checklist right you know you have your man of faith you play rugby you teach physics you can talk philosophy at cocktail parties um, and then you even participated in drum productions um, so we were going to ask you is there anything you don't do
1: <laughs>
0: quite a list <clears throat> you know
2: the my students ask me this too because you know i get to know them we build a relationship and they're like mr d what do you not do you know, <laughs> talk about jobs I've had, like I was a deckhand on a ferry and, um, you know, my dad was an actor. So I've been to Europe. I mean, just all these, these things. So I've, I've thought I need to come up with some response to this because, so here's, so here's the response that I've come up with. Yeah. I don't, what do I not do? I don't binge on shows, um, social media and video games. That's what I, that's what I don't do. Um, you know, cause I mean, for me, right. I'm, I'm a father of 9 I've got like one and a half jobs. Um, I I just recently actually started on a, a doctoral dissertation through, uh, I have the master's in philosophy from Holy Apostles in Cromwell, and through a connection there with a professor in South Africa, just literally just last week started working on a proposal. Um, we have a hobby farm here. I've got bees and rabbits and chickens, and, um, dogs and cats and all kinds of, stuff a big garden so for me any of those other things would would really just be a waste of time Um, right but the thing the things that i've that i've been able to do um i have a pretty short attention span i've found at times uh especially with my life being the way it is i just don't get a lot of time to dedicate so what i i try to be really careful about the way that i way that i use my time so if i have a few spare minutes how am i using that time to read to study something, to learn something new, uh, or to spend time with my family, um, exercise, trying to stay in shape. You know, I've got a lot of kids, gotta be able to keep up with them, you know? Yeah. And my, my youngest just turned one, so I gotta keep going.
0: Yeah.
2: Right. You
0: know, stay healthy here. Yeah, especially you don't have a bunch of attachments you're entangled with, like you said, by binge watching certain things, that's, that's
1: great. Yeah, yeah. You sound like a busy person. As a, as a father of nine children, what types of sports do you and your family do to stay active and healthy? And how do you priori- prioritize all these things that you're doing with your family and yourself and God? And how do you prioritize your life?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, well, the, I have a few things that I just, that I do every day. Um, I mean, there are days where it, they go by and I don't get to these things, but I mean, prayer is, is super important, right? I find time to pray. And the kids know if they're in the car with me for more than five minutes, we're going to pray a rosary. So they don't, and you know, i tell you what, that, that took some, I guess I could call it courage, but I don't want to pat myself on the back, but it was like, it felt awkward at first. When I introduced this idea, like, you hey guys, you know, in the car, kids are in there, they don't want to listen to music or whatever. And I'm like, um, I, all right, I'm just going to say it. Why don't we pray a rosary? And like, ah, no, letter. And they're So, but that now they just know it's like, okay. And, uh, got kind of an order that we lead with that. I try to get to mass too. It's, it's pretty early in the morning. It's a 6:30 mass, but there's one pretty close by to where I work. Um, so when I can, I, get to that um you know but the the sports that we do with the family to get back to to that part of your question probably the most common one is just wrestling on the floor and uh tickling yeah. i don't know if that's a sport but <laughs> just to sometimes just for the kids um, at one time before we moved we're in a more suburb we're pretty a rural area now we're in a suburban area there was a a martial arts place guy was a master at, I don't know how many martial arts uh, jujitsu and kickboxing and Taekwondo and these things. So we signed up for a family membership, you know, his family membership, usually he's got what, like two kids and a couple of parents we had at that time it was seven kids. So, I mean, we were really getting our money's worth. We were doing that and I was primarily learning the jujitsu, which was fun. We only got to do that for about eight months. So so now, when I when I get on the floor and wrestle with them, I know a little bit of what I'm doing. They
1: mm-hmm.
2: you don't know, they don't get the better of me. If it's a nice day, the kids are out throwing the baseball or the football around. The kids uh, they like to play football with each other. We've got a couple of boys in particular who like they just they just run at each other. One guy's got the ball and and, and they just run. Um, you know, we've got the the sports in the town softball and soccer which can be challenging when we've got such a huge age range but I remind myself that it's it's a good thing it's a way to connect with other people in the community a way for the kids to learn some some self-discipline
0: um so, so yeah. but, but it's hard to locate with all the different games and activities on a weekend yeah. I'm sure at times yeah. right yeah.
2: Yeah. And then, you know, we're getting the practice schedule for the spring and we're like, okay, when are, when is, when are these practices going to be When are these going to be And then Okay. How are we going to work it on these nights? And, um, and then on top of that, things like my Greek books schedule where I have to do a class in the evening or something. And when am I getting back from school? <clears throat> so, uh, but it's good to, you know, another thing is that it gets us outside. My wife took a bunch of kids, the practice that she went to, she had a bunch of kids last night. Um, And while the one was practicing, the other kids were on the playground. They were just playing, having fun. They had a picnic together. Got us outside, starting to enjoy spring.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Get out of the house. Yeah. Yeah. So to help um, our mental clarity and to be able to live better in the present moment, which is something I always need to work on, Yeah. Um, any personal exercise or fitness tips that you've learned over the years that you could suggest?
2: Yeah. My most important rule for fitness and exercise is just to do it. That's the first thing, (laughs) just to make sure it happens. Uh, I joke with some of my colleagues, I I work out at the weight room at the school sometimes if I have a free period and I see some of the other uh, teachers and we're like, Hey, did you get a workout in today? Yep. I said, it wasn't pretty but I got it in like, that's what it takes, you know, just keep it, keep it going. Um, and I think for me, having been an athlete, it's, if I don't exercise, it messes with my head. Um, it's, that's one of those things that I just, I have to get in three or four times a week now, at least, um, I've backed off a lot on the heavy weights, that sort of thing. I had a shoulder surgery a wrist surgery and some back and some knee pain, um, you no, know, I used to just be out to max as much as I could with squat, deadlift, and bench press, but, um, and then some other exercise routines, but just making sure, making sure that it happens and I'm staying fit is, is key. Um, and I find also that, uh, the mental clarity also comes with a lot of like the spiritual exercises, um, trying to trying to be faithful to doing a a nightly examine going over my day so that I'm training myself to recognize things. So the next day I can be in the moment. Um, You know, I'm not just going along with the flow of things. I've already like, oh, I've been here before. This is the situation that I was thinking about yesterday that, um, you know, I needed to make amends for whatever the case may have been. And that's, like like fitness can be a long, slow process, but mm-hmm. I find that those exercise exercises are important. They do pay
0: off. Right. Yeah, because we're we're uh, physical beings, and I think it goes hand in hand that if we can take care of our bodies and really try to work on our prayer, like just do it too, do the prayer, then they kind of help each other.
2: Yeah, uh, one thing that I would do a lot in college. Is When I was exercising, I would be, and this was something that we did as just part of the ministry, as part of the culture uh, in the, the Christian ministry when I was in college, was memorizing scripture. So mm-hmm. doing that sort of thing, staying focused, training the mind while I'm training the body. Um, that The type of memorization I found could make a big impact on the ability to concentrate. I still managed to have a relatively um, small capacity for sustained attention, <laughs> but, uh, I think it would be even worse mm-hmm. if I hadn't worked on that type of mental discipline over time.
1: Will you briefly tell us about your books and your uh, affiliation with the Catholic speakers organization?
2: Sure. Yeah. So the, the one book, the fool's Errand, where already told you about that one and where the idea came from, um, And uh, so another another book that I wrote was, uh, you know, in thinking through a lot of these ideas and the things that helped me to understand Catholicism, I had started to put together sort of these short dialogues, quick dialogues um, and short stories just illustrating and some things that were sort of out there and some, um, you know, uh, and using some images from other sources like for example you've you've heard of the the blind man and the elephant um, thing like comparative religion right so uh god is like an elephant and there were these blind men who went up to an elephant and one said oh he's like a snake and he's holding the trunk another one's like oh he's like a tree he's holding the the leg and like oh he's like a um he's like a fan he's touching the, the ear." and so that's supposed to be like well god is unknowable and we're all touching the same thing but we disagree But the insight there is that, well, the elephant became a blind man to communicate to us what he's really like in the person of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So also taking some stories that are sometimes used against Christianity and reformulating them, Um, you know, uh, assuming some of these modern ideas about like scientism, um, you know, kind of worship of science and just putting them into some sort of strange and funny stories. And that one's called uh, The Wise Guy and the Fool. Um, and it, it's like illustrating the ideas that are in the other book, and uh, and one of the friars actually did some illustrations for that, which was a real
1: mm-hmm.
2: privilege. With my with my students in school uh, a number of years ago, I don't know, 13 years ago, fourteen, my students, uh, just in, in talking, found out that I studied philosophy, and they were like, well, what is philosophy? So I tried to <laughs> Tell them they're like can you teach us some philosophy I'm like well, I'm a physics teacher but we were always encouraged to start off class with something fun and interesting to get the kids attention so I would start off with like a philosophy kind of question and then I'd forget about it for a while and then I would do another one but the students said well why don't we just do it every Friday so I, philosophy Friday is what it turned into I have a whole list of of questions that I ask the students every year I just go through if I have if I come up with a new idea I asked the students a new question, but one year I, I recorded those conversations. I hit the record button on the computer Mm -hmm. and I just wrote them out uh, and published that as a book. And so that's the book philosophy Fridays. And that's in a secular school. That's in a a public high school. Um, And so there's, but, but it is philosophy so that, that we don't touch on the, the way that that stuff leads up to or intersects with faith but the concepts are there to lay the groundwork when we ask the questions. And I'm not, I'm not trying to give them a lot of answers. I'm just trying to get them to think about, start thinking about the big questions in life. You know, I think so often the students, um, they're, they're so enmeshed with their, with the media. They've entertained themselves to the point where they're just not even thinking about the big and important questions that that we should be asking. um, That we need to, grapple with as human beings, finding deeper meaning and purpose. So those are, those are the three books that have been published by by a publisher on root books and media associated with Holy Apostles college and seminary. I've got a few other books, little real short things that
0: I had written and self-published. Those are available on Amazon. It's really incredible that the young people were that, that interested in philosophy they wanted to talk about it every Friday. That's pretty cool.
2: Yeah. And actually I, at this school and at the other, so I've taught at two public high schools, taught at the private <clears throat> Protestant Christian school, and then uh, two public schools and both they, the kids wanted to start a philosophy club. So I mm-hmm. run a philosophy club as well. The school where I am now, we run the club during lunch. <clears throat> I have, Uh, lab periods that cut into lunch sometimes so scheduling clubs during lunch is always a challenge for me and uh, last week we were having a philosophical discussion and and it got cut short because of the short lunch period that I had and one of the kids was like we need to have we need to get a, a full lunch period so I have one full lunch period so we met yesterday I called it and I had like 13 kids in my classroom for I don't know 45 minutes just talking philosophy. I had Plato's apology. We were kind of reading through that slowly. And we didn't even, we didn't even look at it because we just started on these conversations about, um, about the good, right? The good and, and uh, sort of like uh, the philosophy of politics, technology, um, the human person, what are we made for in the way that we use technology? I mean, a whole, whole series of Questions: The way that we think about things, the way that we consume media and how that affects the way that we think. Um, Some conversations have been inspired. Recently, I've listened to an audio book, a bunch of books by Neil Postman. So Technopoly, Amusing Ourselves to Death. Uh, And they're pretty eye-opening because he wrote those in the 80s and 90s. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that was like television culture, the advent of the, just the advent of the computer. And some of the stuff he's saying then is like, wow, um, he was he was spot on and very prophetic. So anyway, just the idea that these students—they are—they're hungry. When you, mm-hmm. my students walk into my classroom on Fridays and they're like Philosophy Friday, they love it. I mean, I don't know if they're just excited that they don't have to do physics for a few minutes at the beginning of class or what, but mm-hmm. I mean, I like every student that I talk to who I've had, they they remember Philosophy Fridays. I was just talking to a kid that I had. Um, he called me, he's, he's uh, getting a minor or major in education or something. So he had to interview an old teacher. So he reached out to me and I had this great phone conversation with him. He was like, yeah, philosophy Friday. Like that made an impact on me. And now I'm studying philosophy in college. Like, Whoa. So they're hungry for it. You know, when you start to, cause I think that's, that's deep in us as human beings, right? That is, it's there. And once you scratch the surface, and you open it up for people to start asking the big and the deep questions um it's going to come out it's going to come
0: out so um, maybe there's a bigger out. need now because everyone's consuming so much all day on their phones that they're kind of taking a step back and saying well why am i here and they kind of want to like go back out and question everything and ask
2: yeah. And there's so little, there's so little silence. Um, so there's uh noise, not even necessarily audio noise, but there is so many people, so often they just have the headphones in and it's constant audio noise, but visual noise as well. Um, and without silence, we don't get the chance to to think about and to ponder those questions. If we, if we constantly have that noise going on in our heads, we'll never get to, to stop and just, and just wonder. Silence is, is so key. And it's one thing that our, that, you know, I hate to overgeneralize, but I think in general, our society hates, there's something that is um, sort of the antithesis of what we're about as a society. It's silence. And yet that is so necessary. I mean, I experience it. I try to make an effort to create silence in my life and I'll even find that if I finish listening to an audiobook or something and I still have 20 minutes left in my drive, I'm just I'm searching for the next thing to put on. Like, you know, I'm going to listen to this thing next. or put on this music. You know, it's okay. I can just just drive in silence. It takes discipline to have to create that now in mm-hmm. our lives to be able to think about and just just wonder about life and meaning, goodness, truth, all those things. They're big and they require experience and silence to meditate on.
0: Great. And we'll, um, Matt, we'll put the notes in the, in the, in the podcast on where to get your books or find out more information about you. We'll put those in the notes. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, sure. And then, uh, so, um matt before we close is there anything else you'd like to add um i know uh, you're also in the catholic speakers organization um you enjoy that aspect to to go out and talk to different groups
2: yeah i've um you know my dad was an actor and uh i did some performance stuff like you mentioned when i was in high school and i I enjoyed that um so the idea even with the books is that uh, there are these things that i've learned but I just want to communicate. I just want people to to know about the beauty and the goodness and the truth of the the Catholic faith and um, the way that that God loves us. And so speaking gives me an opportunity to communicate that sometimes. Uh, You know, I've had a few speaking uh, engagements just through through friends and contacts and, and I've really, enjoy that, the opportunity to sit with a group of people. Uh, and then of course the question and answer, the time for people to ask questions is always a lot of fun. And I guess maybe that's just the teacher, area, right? That um, mm-hmm. to be able to talk to people and communicate with them and help them to understand things that, that, I've, that I've just come to discover and that I love. Uh, so yeah, I, I do I do enjoy that. I still get a little nervous but it's something that I enjoy and I look forward to when the opportunity arises.
0: Right. And, and like uh, the time you spoke to the New York giants, is there anything that you would like to (laughs) share any uh, pep talk before we hit the field? Yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean, one other thing that's coming up for me. So I do the great books with the Angelicum Academy now, the online Academy, and that's, that's great you know, kids from all over the world, literally all over the world getting together for these two hour online live discussions, great mm-hmm. books from ancient Greece all the way up. And next year for them, I'm also planning to teach some online uh, physics and math classes. They're trying to expand Angelicum Academy is expanding into that idea as well. The live, live tutoring sessions, the classes. So I'm looking forward to that. And one one of the things that I heard from the friars is sort of the thing that I've tried to drill into my children. We have a YouTube channel that we made, I don't know how many years ago, but it was the Sunday gospel readings mm-hmm. for kids. Um, I have a separate YouTube channel where I do more philosophical stuff. Um, but there's one where it's the, the gospel readings for kids. And I thought if there's something I want kids to know, Catholic kids to know, um, Christians in general, what what's this one thing that I want to communicate every time that they watched and it was something that actually I heard a friar say the friar at one of the men's conferences um at the time and I was new to the Catholic faith at the time so I was looking to see like do people have a personal relationship with Christ and here's this friar sitting in front of hundreds I mean literally hundreds of Catholic men and he said nothing in life is more important than a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I was like that's it you know I got to teach CCD to one of my kids confirmation classes and I tried to remember every class, nothing in life is more important than a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And sometimes for Catholics, it can be like, well, you know, it sounds a little bit too Protestant for us, but even like everything, the sacraments, what is that? That's, that's a personal relationship that is a person there giving himself to us in the, in the sacraments in prayer. It's about, ultimately this relationship that we're developing with God and he is, he is person, you know, so it is a personal uh, relationship. I think we can hear personal relationship when we think, Oh, informal, you know, but there, there are some personal relationships that do have uh, formality to them that, that aid them. Um, so anyway, that's my, that's the, my, my message that I would like to proclaim to the world that nothing, nothing in life is more important than a personal relationship with Jesus Christ.
1: Amen to that. Amen. I was going to ask, how can our listeners follow you? Sure.
2: Uh, well, I have a, a Facebook page. It's um fool on an errand. So based on the name of my that book, um, you know, I have the, the blog at national Catholic register. It gets updated from time to time with another blog that I write. Uh, The YouTube channels are, that's about it. I don't have my own personal website, but those are the spots where um, people can find out about
0: what's going on. Okay. And and Matt, we'll get together and get all the links from you and make sure we put that in the, in the show link for sure. Sure. Yeah. Awesome. Great. All right, Matt, Dan Tuano, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. you here with us. and Yeah. Uh, yeah. Before we wrap, we'll, we'll have uh, Randy lead us in a, a closing prayer. Thank you very much. You guys are awesome. This was great. Keep up the good
2: work.
1: Thank good you very much. Yeah. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we thank you for Matt and his witness today. We thank you for him being on our podcast. We ask your blessing on his ministry, on his teaching, and on his family, Lord. We pray for all the listeners in podcast land that something that we might have said today would lead them closer to you. We ask the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy, holy Mary, Mary, Mother of Mary God, God, grace us. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, Randy.
0: All right, Matt. Thank you.
1: Thanks again. Thanks, Thanks and Matt.
0: Blessed uh, continue as uh, holy for you and your family. Thank you.
1: Yeah, and have a great yeah. Yeah. God bless.